part two of the 2020 season preview. Dan, what's up, mate? Oh, I'm good, mate. How are you? Uh, you know, just stressing about these technical things, but what can you do? Well, I mean, there's not much you can do, eh? I, I think the storm's totally killed it, so... Yeah, we'll see how we go with tonight. Uh, hopefully we don't get cut out at some point, but such is being at the mercy of technology, eh? Well, I mean, it's 2020. According to 1950s, we were going to be flying in the sky and living on the atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Um, what I'll do is we'll get cracking right into it. Uh, I'm going to head off to YouTube right now and tell everyone that's there to move to Facebook. Um, in the meantime, good evening to everybody else that's slowly coming in. What we're going to do is the next five players tonight. Very much an interactive uh, show tonight. Um, so as the players' names come up, we'll preview them. I'll get your thoughts. Everybody can have a bit of a say here. We'll pull up some comments and have a bit of a chat about it. But very much looking forward to it. The boys have had their first session for 2020. Um, I'm not sure if they trained today because it was shockingly smoky out there today. But, um, mate, let's start with Cade Simpson. So for those of you watching at home, talk to us about your thoughts on Kate Simpson, how many games does he play, what season is he going to have. Dan, let you take the floor, mate. Well, I mean, Kate Simpson's a staple of Carlton Football Club, so he's uh, one of the few people that when I first moved over here, he was in the start in 22, and he's just been ever since. So uh, football without Kate Simpson, for me, just seems a bit mad at the moment because it's someone that I've always seen. But, I mean, ever-reliable he is. He's, he's probably someone that I'd expect to see play quite a bit this year, particularly with, you think, our halfback flankers, where he plays in that small defender's position. There's not many players coming up that have got experience, so he's definitely going to be someone, along with Doc, who's going to be guiding the next contingent. I do think this is his last year, though, and TPI, if you watched the video I uploaded yesterday, it had him playing 15 games, and I think that that's probably around where I see him as well. I do think that we'll probably start to see towards the end of this year, we probably start to blood the youngsters. And you see if that's maybe Williamson, if that's an SPS, if that's a Stocker, if that's a Philp or a Ramsey. I'd expect to see one of them really cement that spot and Cade kind of hand over the baton towards the end of the year. But, I mean, it's a weird prospect, isn't it? Can you imagine Carlton not having Simpson on the list? It's crazy, isn't it? It's uh, It's been, what is he, year number, is it 18, 19? Uh, 16, so 2003 started. So. Really? Yeah, 2003. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. Yeah, no, it is. It's going to be weird. Long time, eh? It's going to be weird. Do you think, yeah, so, I mean, is this a situation of management with him? Managing how many games he plays? Are we trying to blood a youngster? What's... What's the idea with him? Um, I, I think he's obviously going to probably be small defender number one moving in um, to the season. But I would expect to see as we progress towards the end of the year that we actually start to see that next guy just come in under the guidance of Simpson. I think you've got to utilise Simpson as a big, big handover role. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got Doc there as well. He's probably been the best small defender of a decade for Carlton, even in his short time. 
So I think it's really exciting to see. Speaking of Doc, what does the inclusion of Doc do for someone like Simo this year? Because we know that you know he had a really good season, Simo, a few years back. Um, so what kind of role is that going to? What's it going to mean for Simo this year? Well, I think um, Simo is basically got that beautiful luxury now of he's actually got the captain back with him, so. He's more in that veteran role. If you watch like Luke Hodge, who wasn't the captain of Brisbane, it was the cool head, the cool, steady, steady ship that just helped steady it when it was in trouble. And obviously the captains did their job at Brisbane. Yep. It's kind of what Cabe's got there. He's, he hasn't got that role by name, but he has the role by association. I think it also helps Doc out that there's two people down there to organise the back line and, for me, you've got an emerging leader in Weiring. Like the back line for me looks super exciting. Just on paper already, I am excited about the back line. Yeah, 100%. What about you guys at home? What do you think about Simo's year coming up? Uh, Wildy, good evening to you, mate. He's talking here about if our young players can't own and take over his role, we've got a problem. Simo's a warrior and his place in our history is solid. And he's right, he's right. But I also, I'm fighting on this. It's time for somebody else to step up. Um, yes, it would be great to have Simo uh, a part of final success and, you know, winning a premiership ultimately with the club. That would be fantastic because he deserves it for what he's given to the club. But the reality is the club is bigger than the individual and we need somebody else to step up and really just take the role from him and force him out of the side. I think you've hit the nail on the head, you and Wildy. For me, I want a player around 15 to have someone comment on a Facebook page, we need to get rid of Simo, he's old. This guy in the VFL is killing it. And we need to have that debate of, is it time that he's usurped? But it has to be usurped. For me, my worry is, are we going to get to round 15 and no one really is in that position? And we're starting to have the conversation, God, I hope Simpson stays on. I mean, for me, my choice, if you were holding a gun to my head, I would look at would look at Williamson. I thought Williamson, when he played in the small defender's role, showed it in 2017. He started to show it, then got injured. He's the kind of modern-day long kick for me. I mean, there's a few players, though, you could have. But to me, you've got to, he's got to be kicked out of the side. Like, I'd hate to see... We give someone a game purely because we hope it has to be he's knocked off. Yeah. No, I get you. I get you. A few more comments here. Rafi's talking about how he wants Simo to play forever, but he has to be realistic. There needs to be someone who can't be ignored. Andy Caldwell thinks it's Dennis Armfield. <laughs> hey, Andy, how you doing, mate? Good mate of mine, Andy. Good evening to you, Andy. Brandon. If you think my weight loss is amazing, you want to check Andy's out. Andy is like six-pack and started about the same weight as I did. Like, he is the inspiration behind POM changing. Love it. Love it. Brandon Hamilton wants Williamson to step up and take it. Um, a big, fast-running player with a real good left boot as well. Well, who are the who are the candidates? I mean, I feel like it's, in terms of to take over Simo's role, I feel like the candidates are Samo, Williamson, and maybe even Stocker to a, a, a different extent. What do you think? Well, I mean, for me, the way I look at it is, for me, I think Stocker is Ed Kerner. He is Ed Kerner in the next two years. So whether Carlton think, you know what, we use Stocker for a year and then 
we move him forward and we go into the trade target to look for him, to look for someone. Josh has got a great point. Lockie O'Brien, I can see a lot of Lockie O'Brien as a halfback flanker. Long booming kick, takes the game on, big engine. He's someone who could be converted. For me, though, I feel like we're at the stage where we can't keep converting players. And I, I want to see players own that role naturally. So yeah. for me, Williamson's number one for me. Um, definite number one. Um, but Samo could be the person. I mean, there's Newman there as well. I mean, it's hard to fit Newman in as number six. Yeah. Newman, though, is one of them players that defensively he's found out. Um, that's his one grey area. But as we covered last year when we were talking about all Australians, he is the modern-day halfback flanker Newman. He has numbers that stack up with Laird and Lloyd, who, again, aren't very good defensively, but they give you that next level. So you've got to remember, Doc's coming back, and Doc is the numero uno intercept rebounded defender in the competition. So when he comes back in, you can maybe afford that lackadaisical Newman approach. So could be already there, but it's going to be really exciting for me. I mean, I, I want Williamson, though. Williamson would be my pick if he can stay fit. Okay. I'll put this to you, but I'll put this to the audience first. Type in a number. How many games will Simo play in 2020? Dan? 15. 15. I'm going to say... If he plays 15, it means we've found the next Simpson. Okay. I'm going to say that he plays... I'm going to say 17. I don't think he'll find a replacement until later in the year. Um, it's like a hot chip challenge there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to say 17 games. What about you watching at home? How many games does Cade Simpson play in 2020? As we move along, actually, let's get a few of these numbers here. Justin, 17. Wildy, 14. Mel, WT, 20. We've got 18, 15, 15, 20, 18, and 20. Okay, so we're looking at that 15 to 20 range. I like it. Let's move on. Let's move on to number seven. This was a low-key popular one. Matt Kennedy, um, a guy who's shown a little bit, shown some flashes. He obviously had that little stint down forward. Last year, um, for those of you at home, talk to me about Matt Kennedy. And Dan, what do you think about his season coming up? Um, Matt Kennedy's a weird one, isn't he? Because I would have said, and I, I did see a lot of people talk about um, Matt Kennedy last year at the start of the year, and he was like the bookie's choice to be delisted. Um, he kind of had that wonderful wonderful um, resurgence when he, as, as Teague said, we put him down forward and suddenly he took off. So for me, he, he's found a new niche. Now, controversial call from me. I can see Kennedy being one of them who maybe flourishes in the absence of Charlie Kerno because I don't think he's a full forward. I don't think he's a centre-half forward. He was drafted originally as a high half forward who can rotate through the midfield. I think he could be the smoky to start round one and make us not miss Charlie so much. He's got the skills. He knows where the goals are. And I can see him taking that role. I've, I've seen a few comments like this lately about him taking maybe Charlie's spot and holding down the fort. Uh, because he's he's good overhead, relatively good overhead. He's a good mark. He's a nice. He's actually got a pretty good technique for sets in his set shots. Um, I don't know. I just I just feel like you know we got him and the hype about him was that he was a midfield bull, 
And yeah, I get it. You've got to be versatile and you've got to add different strings to your bow and the modern game requires you to be versatile. I get that. Um, but he hasn't really yet, and you know, due to injury and other reasons, he hasn't been able to lock down a position. And that's, for me, that's priority number one. Can we lock him down in a position first? Um, what do you think about that? Well, I think if you look at the modern day on-baller, a great example is Stephen Cornelio, someone who goes on the ball, can play outside and also play and rest across the half forward. So you look at Stephen Cornelio last year where he really excelled, was he, he moved as that third forward, really looked to be that aggressive influence, and then he went back to help on the ball when they struggled. Now, Kennedy's got the ability to do that. I do think, though, he's never had a pre-season. I think that's his big issue. And I think to play in the midfield, you have to have a big engine. There's no getting away from it. Yeah. I think that's his natural position where he plays on the ball. But for me, I, I think we saw that forward craft from him. I, I, I can see him taking that third, playing on the wing, going on the ball. But definitely, I think he'll start as that third forward. I've just got a feeling. I yeah. just don't know why. But for me, I've got a feeling. Yeah, well, I mean, if... if um... If Harry, if Harry plays, for example, and Mitch plays, I guess Levi will obviously probably be in the side as well. Um, it probably evens out the side. And the reason I say that is because much of the criticism of our forward line last year is that it was just too big and we haven't really seen it work. So Kennedy's got that size where he's in between and he's a bit more mobile. And I can see the merit in being a forward. Oh, definitely. I, mean, I, I do think if you look at uh, the midfield... I'd say our outside midfielders, it's stacked. It's stacked. And I think there'll be a lot of players, Lockie O'Brien, Fisher, players that are really fighting for one or two spots. So I think for Kennedy, if he can add a string to his bow, a string to his bow that he can rotate in the forward line, as well as have Cripper, Setterfield, Ed Kerner on the ball, I think that really helps for me. I think that that gives you a reason because I think at the moment our list... There's about four or five players I would be saying probably ain't going to get long-term first-team football at Carlton Football Club now yep. if everyone plays to form. So if I was Kennedy, I'd be thinking if I can nail down this, I'm an alternative down forward, it really adds a string to his bow, real string to his bow for me. All right. Same question for everyone there in the audience. How many games, give us a range, how many games Matt Kennedy plays in 2020? Dan, what about you? What do you think? Well, TPI had him at five. I think he's definitely seven. I reckon he'll definitely be in the tens. I think he'll be around the 10 mark. Yeah, I think if he's fit and healthy, he's going to be in Teague's, you know, one of his first choice type selections. I think he's in, if you were to do our best 25 players, I think he definitely makes the cut there. I'm going to say... I'm going to say 12 games for Matt Kennedy. 12 games? I'm going to say 12 games. I like it. Yep. Uh, a few here saying 20. Uh, another point as well uh, about Jack Noons. Uh, we, we missed that earlier, uh, the addition of Jack Noons for Kate Simpson for that role as well, just to get that out there. Spot, yeah, spot on. It's a position he played for St. Kildare. He played on the wing, half forward and at half back for them. And with relative success, you look at his numbers, they never fluctuate. He's definitely that six out of 10 player that every list has. So for me, great shout. Noons could lock that down because you'd imagine he's 
come to Carlton for first team football. So, yeah. again, great shout. All right, let's move along. A lot of these games, predicted games for Kennedy, is really about that 8 to 12 range. So, that's interesting to see how we're all on a similar page. Moving along to the big tractor, the big Humphrey Bear, Matty Cruiser, the man who, you know, I said this in my preview when I when I think about Matty Cruiser when I talk about Matty Cruiser it's it's not disappointment it's 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 more sadness because of conditions that he can't control because he's obviously a very talented guy and he obviously makes us a lot better when he does play so interested to hear, to read all of your thoughts out there what do you think about Matty Cruiser's upcoming season is this the year where Tom DeConning takes the number one spot does Mark Pitternet play a few games there. Dan, talk to me about Matty Cruiser. I think Cruiser's definitely Carlton's first-choice Ruckman. I don't think there's any way of getting away from it. I think uh, Carlton's willingness to let um, Phillips go was kind of, for me, a show of faith in where Cruiser is yeah. physically. Um, definitely, because, I mean, we know Phillips did a good serviceable job. Um, but, Pitt, like, for me, I think he's the first-choice Ruckman, and I think he's going to be that first-choice Ruckman for two years. It's just been said here by Brandon. I couldn't agree more. He is the heart and soul of the team. I mean, you see the way the fans react to him, the the wonderful cruise chant, you know, as he goes anywhere near the ball. There was that goal against Hawthorne where he just ran through everyone and kicked it on the run. When have you seen Cruiser do that? I mean, for me, if you can stay fit, that's the problem, though. He has to stay fit. Yeah. And for me personally, I see him as a 15-gamer. I uh, I just have that reservation about him, and I think that's why Pitternet is there. We know he's serviceable. Pitternet, though, we've got to remember, is a throwback to the 1990s of Ruckman. He's not the modern-day one. TDK is. So I'd hope to see TDK be the first-choice Ruckman and really bang down the door. A bit like Kid Simpson towards the end of the year, we have this conversation. Is it time to give him more ruck duties at Carlton because I'd suspect, and Wowdy's just took the words out of my mouth, I'd imagine that Mr. Casbolt will be pinch-hitting in the ruck to really try and get as much game time out of Cruiser as possible. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if we can rely on Levi as a ruckman. I understand pinch-hitting and a couple of minutes here and there and let's say five minutes a quarter. I get that. Um, I think Levi, I mean, you know, the beauty of him is he throws his weight around and that's that's half the battle with, with the Ruckman. Um, but they're going to really need to manage that. That combined with having to manage Cruiser and, you know, talk about load management around the world in other sports, uh, I think Cruiser fits the category of load management in the AFL. And uh, a lot of people here are talking about that 15-game mark and you mentioned it as well, Dan. I think, I think that's on the same. I kind of feel like there's always going to be two or three games this season where you can just see the headline or Teague's made a comment saying, we're just resting him, he's a little bit sore, we're being precautious. I'm okay with that because Pitternet can step up. I've said this a lot about Tom DeConning and you know how by the end of this year we want to be talking about him in that conversation for the number one ruck role. Uh, from what I've seen at training, I don't. I, I still think we're probably another year away, I'll be honest. That's just my, my, my feeling. Because he's got the athleticism, but um, there's always that balance between, well, you've got to throw him in early enough and give him experience, like the Team English model. Um, but then there's the other side of the coin. Do you bring him in too early and, and you know drop their confidence? Where do you guys sit on the Tom DeConning situation? Do you want to just put games into him or do you want to be cautious with him? 
Well, I, I mean, for me personally, you look at the Brodie Grundy model, um, went to Collingwood and they just literally utilised him full time in the VFL from day one. And he, he played 20 games in the VFL, was first choice, fed him in with seven games the next year. And to be honest, that is how you feed a Ruckman in. Carlton didn't have that luxury when Cruiser came in. He played a lot of games very, very, very early. Um, like you look his first year, 20 games. That is very high for a first year Ruckman. And you kind of are now bearing the consequences of them actions now. When a Ruckman's hitting his peak, Ruckman traditionally hit it very late, 30 years old. He, he's kind of breaking down. So for me, TDK is someone that you treat with kid gloves. And he missed a whole year last year. Carlton's list management of TDK was horrendous. We had two Ruckman doing most of the work in the VFL. And TDK was kind of a forward who pinch hit. He was kind of like the Levi Caswell for a lot of VFL games. So for me, there's the issue with, with having TDK. We need to give him 100% Ruck work this year in the VFL. Work that rough craft. Because I've seen him against Pernat. And he holds his own. He's light, but he holds his own. If he can get that body, get the craft, he's going to be first choice, simple as. Yeah. I made a comment during my preview. I, I watched it back before this. Um, about the, the, For me, I feel like the only player who is potentially going to be taking that number one rock spot away from Matty Cruiser is himself. He's his own body. Um, so, And that's going to be interesting. The, the changing of the guard is going to be fascinating for us. Pitonet, you know, it's it, you know the, the logic would say, you know, he's one of the best ruckmen in the VFL all year last year. So, therefore, there could be a, you know, an uptick in performance. He's got more experience. He's got a lot of opportunity now. He's going to probably be the number one ruckman in the VFL and share that with Tom DeConning. We don't have three ruckmen playing in the VFL this year, which is, which is better. Um, I think we're well-placed. But best case scenario, we somehow get Matty Cruiser to 18, 19, 20 games. And I think we win those two or three extra games in what we thought. Oh, 100%. And I think Pettinette as well has proven for Hawthorne he's serviceable. So against some of the weaker clubs with weaker rook stocks, you can definitely look at dropping Cruiser, giving him a rest. If that's what's needed, a lot of players, when they hit a certain age, are needing to be managed. Great example would be Nick Nat last year. He played a lot of games and played three quarters and they benched him for an entire quarter. So you've got that option there as well. So for me, I, I think Cruiser, I don't think we'll see someone replace Cruiser, touch wood, barring injury, till 2022. Yep. I think Cruiser will be our rook until then. I like it. I like it. Let's move on. This one, this one's just the best. There's like three or four players on the list. When you do the preview, when it's just easy. Um, Paddy Cripps, number nine. Um, what, what can you say? I mean, <laughs> um, let's get practical with it, though. Uh, for you at home, obviously, what's Cripps' year going to look like? Some of the themes that I have for this year are, do we need to play him forward more? Is this the year where someone starts pinching votes from him for the Brownlow? Can he win the Brownlow this year? Um, do we not need to worry about the Brownlow? Is it just all about team performance? Where are you all placed mentally with Paddy Cripps this year? Dan, I'll start with you and I'll get some of the comments from you guys in the audience up as well. Uh, how, like, this is a tough one because how do you describe Cripper? Like, how do you describe him? Like, the guy is. Yeah, 
He's just uh, put six goat emojis. <laughs> I mean, the, the guy is on a transient plane where I reckon in 10 years' time we'll have the conversation, how good was he? Like, how good was Cripper? For me, I think he's going to be a staple, no doubt. I, I do think when we've been to training, you've started to see Cripper train in the forward line yeah, as well, which I think for me... That's what he's going to do. I think against Brisbane, we talked about it. He had the opportunity. They don't have many on ballers there. He had the opportunity to really go up the level, um, really expand that play. We know he can mark. We know he can kick snags. Um, may I remind everyone, AFLX last year, Jack Rewalt saying that he was the toughest forward he's played with and he's a midfielder. So for me, there is a huge thing with Cripps. He has that string. I expect to see Setterfield. He's put on a lot of beef. He was really doing a lot of contested stuff. I reckon you're going to start to see Cripper have a bit more freedom. And I think that's what we need. We need we, need, we do need him to have freedom. And I think if he gets freedom, he's only scratched the surface of what he can do. Because he might not have the pace of Dustin Martin, but he, he trumps him in strength. You watch him, he can get through people. He's got... He's got the craft of Fife on the ball. He's, he, ne he rarely misses an opportunity to hit a target. If Cripper starts to be freed up a little bit, and I'm only talking 10 minutes a game, watch out. I reckon he's a lot for the Brown, though, if that happens. I've got an interesting conversation, discussion point I want to bring up, and it's the notion of, you know, Cripps going forward and, you know, we want him to kick. I said it in my preview, you know, 25 to 30 goals, and we as we as fans and even the media to a certain degree as well, we, whenever someone levels up to a certain degree, we almost, it's, it's never enough. We want them to then add another layer and become the perfect player that can do it all. And so the, the counter argument to Cripps playing forward is, well, why? I mean, for me, he's arguably, if not definitely, the best contested midfielder in the league. So if you have that, why would you then move him to a position where he hasn't yet proven himself as being the best in that position. And I understand the notion of extending his career and, you know, the, the toll on his body and, and whatnot. But the guy's 190-plus centimetres. He's big and strong. He can handle the brutality of being an inside midfielder better than anyone else in the league. So why are we trying to take him away from that? Why don't we just keep him in the middle? I get the whole scoreboard and kicking goals and being the ultimate perfect player and in an ideal world. We want a player that could average 30 touches and kick 30 goals in a season. But, again, there's, I just want to be play devil's advocate for a moment. Why do, why do we have to have him as a forward now? When we've got – I know that they're injured. But I, I don't think we have to, but I think that we have to be honest with ourselves. And you look at the best teams, Richmond, they have a similar player who gets contested ball dusty if he goes on the ball. He goes up forward if they need him to become that problem. He goes on the flank – to be a problem. And if you watch Cripps' numbers and you look at his heat map, every year it's slightly started to increase that he rests in the forward line for longer and longer. So I think we've got to understand what I'm suggesting is he doesn't play a full-time forward role. He rotates in the forward line. Every team in the history of AFL rests their best players at either halfback flank or in the half-forward flank. It's an unquestionable it happens. Even Tom Mitchell rests off the ball. So for me, that's something you've started to see. You've started to see his numbers show it. Every year, 
he's getting more goals. He's getting more shots a goal because he's going up there. So for me, like I say, he's got the ability to change games like Martin. He's got the ability to compose games like Fife. So to me, I do think you'll start to see progressively a bit more trust in that midfield so Cripper can afford to rest up. You look at his body, it's better than Blues. 18 was a huge example. Took his shirt off. His back looked like it had been shot with shrapnel. Last year, we started to see Teague trusted his midfield. He spent a staggering more time. It was 7% more under Teague in the forward line and on the half-forward flank than on the ball under Teague. He trusted the players that were there. So I think that that will be a plan. And he's a difficult matchup. You watch Chris. He's a nightmare to match up on. So do you not think that we already do rest him forward? I think I, th I would say my argument would be that he already does rest forward. And it's not like we're playing him. In yeah, he does. I, I, I think he's also going to be that rabbit at the hole. That rabbit in the hole where if stuff's going wrong, the forward line's not operating, you throw Cripps at half forward for a quarter. Give him the chance to change a game. If you watch him against the Brisbane game, he changed it. If you watch a lot of Cripper's games, he changes it. So for me, that's what you can utilise Cripps for. You start to, I think you'll start to see, and I, don't get me wrong, he's the best contested player in the competition. But when you've got a player of that ilk who can change games, we've got to remember when he goes forward and has a chance, he kicks goals. Brisbane was probably the most complete performance I've seen of an AFL footballer in my time watching it. So for me, if you've got that talent at your disposal who can change games, you would be criminal not to use it against teams. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I see. I see. I see your point. It makes sense. Uh, the final one is Harry Mackay. Um, just to give an update on where Harry's at uh, at training this week, and if you haven't checked out the training report or the highlights, it's on the YouTube page right now. But he did twenty, maybe twenty-five minutes of light jogging up the uh, you know one side of the ground, right in front of where I was sitting, with Andrew Russell standing right behind him. And it was almost as if Andrew Russell was just watching the form and he's running. And he almost, when you watch him, and I'm no expert by any means, but he doesn't, like I watch Williamson run, for example, and you can just see the long strides forward. Harry's almost got a bit of a waddle, like a left to right. Um, and so for me, it's really difficult to preview him and, and put expectations on him. Because if you remember this time last year, what we wanted to see was him just get through a full season because we hadn't seen it yet. Bolton was obviously being cautious with him. He had some back issues, etc. So it's hard to put expectation on Harry. So for you at home and for you as well, Dan, what? how can we summarise what we think about Harry this year? Well, I think a lot's been talked about Harry when we talked about his kicking. That's probably when I speak to any, when any rival fan, they all say that McKay's a brilliant contested mark, gets the chances, his kicking's atrocious. You actually, it was an interesting conversation I had the other day with someone, and we were talking about his groin injury, and it was confirmed by the club that was a long-standing in injury. That's going back a year. So for me, if you watch golfers, when they injure their groin, the golf swing in its transfer of power is very similar to how you kick. It starts on your back foot. It goes through the target to your lead foot. 
Now, you watch golfers when they've hurt their groin and try and hit a golf ball. They have a tendency to lean back to compensate that power transfer. You watch McKay's kicking last year to 2018. It's a different technique. He's leaning back, causing that hook for a left footer mm. on that way. And I think that was a big part of it. I think maybe he was nursing that injury quite a lot. We saw a lot from Harry as well of running off the mark to kick round the corner as well, which again would alleviate the weight transfer through his groin. So for me, I I'm expecting huge things from Harry. Like, I I've Pom's big call. 2023, he will have won two Coleman's. I like it. I'm only I'm only mindful of this year because, you know, the old saying about the preseason and you know, anytime you don't complete a full preseason, the reality is you're just not going to be as prepared as those who do have a full preseason. And it probably makes more sense for that for big guys. You look at Mitch McGovern, you look at even Tom Lynch who started a little slow last year from Richmond. Um, and, and just because we now know that Harry hasn't been, he's not part of the full sessions, he's not doing any of the main training, none of the contact work, none of the match sim. I just, I guess what I'm trying to do is just quell the expectation because I feel like he's going to need a bit of time to ease his way into the season. Yeah, you see Harry play, he's that kind of player though. Once he kicks a goal, he's ready, isn't he? Yeah, true. He reminds me of that kind of guy. He reminds me very similar to, like, Buddy. If he kicks a goal in the first quarter, he's going to kick you seven. It, he just needs to get going. And I, I really, really expect to see Yari kill it. Like, I've got no doubt. For me, the kicking is something that can be worked on. For me, though, that contested mark, the amount of opportunities he gets. Jack Martin, very good ball deliverer. He's got some good ball deliverers there now. I reckon you're going to see... Harry, absolutely kill it. So let's screw this. Let's not taper it. Harry's going to be a superstar, but he's not going to kick as many goals as Mitch McGovern next year. I like it. I like it. Uh, and with that, so one more question for the audience to put in the comments. How many goals does Harry kick this year? Palm, I'll start with you, and I know you're going to go low because you think Mitch will be the leading goal kicker. So it's going to be... Oh, no, TPI screwed me because TPI said that Harry was going to kick more goals than uh, Mr McGovern. So I'm, I'm fighting against my brainchild. I, I think he'll kick 42. 42 goals. Okay. What about you guys at home? How many goals will Harry Mackay kick in season 2020? I said, I think I said 41. Uh, no, I said 37. If he's fit and healthy, I think he'll go to 37. That's my best guess. Um, Wildy says 25. We've got 31 from Josh, 45 from Peter Vlahos, 32 from Riley, 35 from Rafi, 50 from Scott Grant, 25 from Tracy, 53 from Alex Thompson, who also loves a snag. He knows how to kick a goal. He knows where they are. Um, John Stanford, <laughs> 25 goals. So, yeah, some, some, some pretty high expectations from Harry. And that's just due to his talent. And it makes sense. Um, another question. Do you, you know, when we're at our best, when this group is at their best and contending for premierships, is Harry the full forward or is Harry up the ground as a half forward? See, I, I think there's a lot of merit for me to have him at centre-half forward. Like, if, if I was picking the team, which I'm not, I, I'd have him at centre-half forward. I think he's marking and he's also got the ability to kick a long snag. He's got a decent kick on him. 
I think that marking for me is just absolutely crucial. And I think Mitch McGovern does really well at full forward. I mean, I, I'm of the school that if you have Kerno at full forward, he can play that Tom Lynch role where he just outmaneuvers players with his athleticism. So, like, for me, I, I like him at centre-half forward. But wherever he plays, he's got his good. The kid's a bit good, Harry. He's very special. Very special player for me. Yeah. I'm just seeing some of these comments come through about the, the up the ground or full forward. It's very split. I reckon every every conversation I have, it it changes between people. Um, and it could be a good I thing. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer for me. There's a great argument for all three of them to play wherever you want. They're, they've all got – you've got Mitch McGovern's – he's a dead-eye dick. Mitch McGovern, like, he did it last year. He, he's kicking, he just gets it, and he takes his chances. Harry's contested mark. Cripper's just in. I mean, Kerno's insane ability at movement. It's it's a wonderful problem to have having three talented forwards. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, I mean, I would I would like to see full forward this year purely for this, Eddie. Yeah, speaking of Eddie and Andy Caldwell, I haven't forgotten you, mate. I've been seeing your comments here about Eddie Betts. Um, yeah, uh, so basically the previews are being done in number order. So we'll get to Eddie Betts uh, in a few more episodes from this. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, calm, calm, calm down. He's lost. He's a Fremantle fan. I saw his comment earlier. If you think Cripps is good, you've never seen Pavlich. <laughs> um, so there, there's the next five previews for the year done. Um, I do want to give an update on Charlie Kerno. I'm sure everybody's read it, but just for the sake of clarity, the club issued a statement about him saying that he Andrew Russell was talking about how he's um, he's obviously aggravated an injury uh, with the patella tendon and he's going to miss the start of the season and we're looking at him featuring at some point early in the year. I'm just estimating that sounds like around six to seven type uh, debut. I don't know how to feel about Charlie because, God, I love him. Like, for me, the greatest sight in 2018 was seeing my boy Charlie show me his biceps and stick his tongue out when he celebrated. That was the only joy I had in 2018. The only joy I had. Like, and I, I just, I, I just hope he gets right because when he's on fire, you've got them Richmond goals he kicked. You know he can do it against the best. He made Alex Rance look average. Yeah, he just needs to get on the park. That's no, very true. Fingers crossed for him. Uh, that'll do for us this evening. Uh, thank you for being part of part two of the season preview. Stay tuned. We've got more of these player previews coming up on the YouTube channel. And then once we do five, we'll then do a live show and get all of your thoughts. I really enjoy this interaction with you guys. It's really cool. And it's uh, it makes the time go by really quickly. So uh, I just can't wait for it to start. Dan, thank you again, as always. Have a good evening and go the mighty blue boys. Go the blues. <laughs>